Our scripture this morning is 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 4 through 18, and it's on page 817 in the Red Pew Bible. Such confidence we have through Christ before God. Not that we are competent in ourselves to claim anything for ourselves, but our competence comes from God. He has made us competent as ministers of a new covenant, not of the letter, but of the Spirit. For the letter kills, but the Spirit gives life. Now, if the ministry that brought death, which was engraved in letters on stone, came with glory, so that the Israelites could not look steadily at the face of Moses because of its glory, transitory though it was, will not the ministry of the Spirit be even more glorious? If the ministry that brought condemnation was glorious, how much more glorious is the ministry that brings righteousness? For what was glorious has no glory now in comparison with the surpassing glory. And if what was transitory came with glory, how much greater is the glory of that which lasts? Therefore, since we have such a hope, we are very bold. We're not like Moses, who would put a veil over his face to prevent the Israelites from seeing the end of what was passing away. But their minds were made dull, for to this day the same veil remains when the Old Covenant is read. It has not been removed, because only in Christ is it taken away. Even to this day, when Moses is read, a veil covers their hearts. But whenever anyone turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. Now, the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we all, who with unveiled faces contemplate the Lord's glory, are being transformed into his image with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. Word of the Lord. Good morning. <laughs> I brought a flower today. It is a sunflower. Sunflowers are really awesome flowers. They're great for preventing soil erosion. They give us wonderful seeds to eat. They're pretty to look at. They grow, well, they need some rain. <laughs> they do need rain. But you're right, they love the sun. And you know what's special about sunflowers? They follow the sun. They love the sun so much that when the sun rises in the east, it faces the east, and it follows the sun all day long, looking at that sun till the end of the day when the sun sets in the west. And then it does it again every day. Yes. Well, it is your daddy's <laughs> birthday today. But he's not here, so we can't really sing to him right now. But we'll sing to him later, I promise. Okay? But sunflowers make me think about Moses. Because sunflowers look like the sun. And they love the sun so much that they look at the sun all the time. And when Moses was up on the mountain, 
talking to God, he kind of started to look like God. He, he was, had a glow about him that was pretty incredible. It was so incredible that he had to cover it up when he saw the regular people because they were like, mm, not too sure about that. And I thought, you know, wouldn't it be awesome if we could all be sunflowers that look to God all day long, every day, and glow like God every day? And do all the wonderful things that sunflowers do. Protect the earth, feed people. Wouldn't it be an awesome thing if we could all be sunflowers, wouldn't it? Um, so sunflowers. How can we be a sunflower? What can we do? We can smile. Follow, follow God, the sun. <laughs> <laughs> we can smile. We can show the joy that we have because we know God. We can light ourselves up. There's a, a song I hear at Christmas time about light me up. Um, you know that one? No, but there's, it's, hmm, have you heard it? Yeah, it's kind of, I, I don't quite get all the words sometimes, but that light me up one always gets me like, yeah, flip that switch in me, light me up, let me glow like you so that people will see me, but not see me, see you through me. Let's pray. Dear Lord, we thank you for sunflowers. We thank you for your love. We thank you for the way we can reflect who you are through ourselves so that other people can know how wonderfully loving and glorious you are. So help us to be like sunflowers, to keep our eyes on you always and to reflect all the wonderful things that you are. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's pray. Lord, we do want to glorify you, and we want to love like you do for your glory. We pray that you will open our hearts and minds and lives to you today. In Jesus' name, amen. So last week after the sermon, one of you came up to me and said, so what you were saying, which was we were talking about loving other people is the way that we love God and or the, the best proof that we do love God and um, and so that person said I was thinking that Jesus says you're supposed to love your neighbor as you love yourself which that means that we should love ourselves too what do you guys think okay I'm happy to hear that. <laughs> um, the first time I heard that idea, I was a teenager, and many teenagers don't love themselves that much, and I was super insecure, and I maybe a little more insecure than some teenagers even. And I was, and then I, so then I felt guilty. <laughs> I always felt guilty about stuff, and then there was something else to feel guilty about. I didn't love myself enough to love other people well. Um, and then I got a little bit older, and I had a little bit more um, life experience, and then I thought, that's just a, an excuse to be selfish, this idea of self-love. What am I, how am I, I can love people, it doesn't matter what I think about myself, I can love people like Jesus wants me to. And then I got a little bit older and had a little more life experience, and now I think, yeah, actually, it really helps 
you'd be able to love other people if you love yourself. Because your you don't have to think about it in these terms, but your love is worth something. If you have regard for yourself, you are able to love more freely. Um, but the problems with this idea is that we have a society that is full of messages to love yourself, and the way that those play out is often not very positive. Um, it can lead to deep selfishness that doesn't take account of anybody else. It can turn into narcissism. Um, and we see lots of people who advocate loving yourself, and it just turns into this my way or the highway. I don't care what anybody else does or thinks or says. And also, hey, what about sin? <laughs> Right? We, as Christians, we acknowledge that there's such a thing as sin, and we also, at least in our tradition, we believe that sin is something that we, it's something we're born into, there's a, we're born into a sinful world, and we have a sin nature already from day one, and so um, if you love yourself, does that mean that you can just forget about the fact that you also sin? What do you what are you supposed to do with that? Hopefully we'll, this is really hard to talk about. I, I'm not gonna lie. Hopefully this sermon's gonna make sense. <laughs> it's all I'm saying. Um, I do think that there is a godly way to love ourselves, a godly way to be confident in a way that brings glory to God. And the short version of how that is possible is when we, like we've been saying for weeks, like John said in 1 John 4, 16, when we rely on the love God has for us. If we are really relying on that love, not just saying, yes, God loves me, but relying on it, then we are free to love ourselves. And Paul says in 2 Corinthians 3 verses 4 and 5, such confidence we have through Christ before God. Not that we are competent in ourselves to claim anything for ourselves, but our competence comes from God. So Paul is saying we can be confident, and it's not because we have to try really hard to like make ourselves awesome, or we have to try really hard to forget all the not awesome parts about ourselves and say that we're awesome and make everybody else think we're awesome even though there's all this other junk. Um, we rely on what God has done in, in us and we can be totally confident because it comes from God. This kind of confidence and self-love is un self-conscious. So, I think what I maybe mean <laughs> is that in the world, self-love is very self-conscious. You have to continually be thinking about yourself and what are my needs and how am, I, how am I best able to get my needs met and I'm number one and, do, and, and I need to say these affirmations to make myself feel better and I need to forget that I screwed up I can't acknowledge that, and, and I just, 
I'm just thinking about myself all the time. It's kind of exhausting. <laughs> I have seen people do this, and I've actually gotten sucked into this myself sometimes. And as Christians, it's important to be in touch with what's going on inside ourselves, and many Christians are not, and that, that's a, another problem. That's not what we're talking about here. But I think the difference between godly um, self-regard and worldly self-regard is that because I'm relying on God's love for me, I can trust God loves me, therefore I am lovable. I'm fine. I don't have to try to, to make myself look good because God loves me, and so I'm okay. I don't have to try to, to be something I'm not because God loves me. I don't have to think about myself all the time and try to put up a, a, a mask or, or anything. It's just I'm not thinking about myself all the time. I, am, I love myself, but I'm not the main focus of myself because I'm relying on God who gives me my identity, who gives me my righteousness, who loves me. So... Who I am and what I do is now entirely wrapped up in Jesus. My adequacy or my competence comes from God. Not just my ability to be in relationship with God because my sins are wiped away, but my adequacy to function as a member of his family and his kingdom. It all comes from Jesus. Absolutely none of it initiates with me. When I am truly relying on the love God has for me and has demonstrated in the work of Jesus, it frees me up. And it doesn't free me to sin, it actually frees me to be transformed. Because I'm not constantly thinking about myself. This is actually very winsome and brings glory to God. I am, when I rely on Jesus' love for me, I am free to do the things that the law commands without being subject to the law, which is great. Can you say that again, please? Maybe. I didn't write it down. <laughs> Someone start me off. <laughs> what did I say? Yes, when I am truly relying on the love God has for me, I am free to act according to the law without being subject to the law. I don't have to obey the law because everything, my competence, my adequacy, my lovableness, myself, my ability to do anything comes from God. So I am free to do what the law requires, but I am not subject to the law. Amen. Verse 6, God has made us competent as ministers of a new covenant. Not of the letter, but of the Spirit. For the letter kills, but the Spirit gives life. And that 
is basically what I meant, what I just said. The letter, the law, is the written down words, here's a list of things to do or not do. I have to try to obey them. That's the old covenant. The spirit is living inside us because of Jesus. I don't have to think, oh, how do I obey this law? I can trust for my ability, my adequacy, everything to come from God who's actually living inside of me to empower me to be transformed, to be like Jesus. So we have to be careful here because this is one of those passages that I suspect people like to use, because there are some passages like that, so this is probably one of them, that people like to use to say that the Apostle Paul was anti-Jewish. He's saying we don't need the Old Testament anymore. That's not actually, neither of those things is true. Paul was Jewish, guys. <laughs> also, so was Jesus. So, and Paul had massive training in the Jewish scriptures. But because of Jesus, the Jewish Messiah, Paul's relationship to the law, to the scriptures, changed. And he wants all followers of Jesus relationship to the law to change. He wants us to be people of confidence and freedom and life and not people who are weighed down by shame and guilt and overthinking whether we're doing the right thing or not. In verses 7 and 8 he says, now if the ministry that brought death, which was engraved in letters on stone, came with glory, so that the Israelites could not look steadily at the face of Moses because of its glory, transitory though it was, will not the ministry of the Spirit be even more glorious? So he doesn't make the law sound great when he calls it the ministry of death. <laughs> um, and I think he calls it that because it's, if that is all we have, we cannot live up to it, and we die. But it is still the written law of God, and it is glorious. He's saying, that was super glorious. It was so glorious that when Moses went up to the mountain to get it, when he came back down, I loved how Barb put it, he kind of looked like God. That was overwhelming to people. People could not handle it, so he had, he, it, it was funny, the, our responsive reading, it said he didn't realize that he looked different. Nobody else wanted to come near him, so he had to put a veil over his face. The law is glorious. It gave detailed instructions for the people God had set apart to reveal his glory to other nations who did not know him. The law is set up to help people God's people in a world that does not know God, so it's not an ideal world, it's not, a, it's not Eden, but this is how we live as God's people, this is what God, what works, and what does the best job of bringing God's way to the rest of the world. And 
That was glorious. The thing about the law is, it is very hard to be confident when you're standing with God and the rest of humans is dependent basically on you. <laughs> Unfortunately, because we human beings tend by default to be religious, even the people that think they're not religious, tend to be religious, which means we like to have we like to, we are spiritual beings and we like to try to organize our spirituality into ways that work. And so sometimes even churches who have the Messiah usually unintentionally set up communities in the same way. You can belong here, but only if you observe certain conduct or you talk a certain way or you wear certain clothes or you believe a very narrow set of understandings of God's word. We have some basic doctrines here that we believe, that we believe are important. And we can be clear on those things, but we also can have, we have some variation here in how we, in how we understand the way that the Bible is trying to explain things to us. And we can, actually, I think that's good for a community because it helps us to wrestle through things and not, and actually have to think about what we really believe. But not all churches are like this, and surprisingly, the more rigid your rules for your community are, the less glorifying it is to God. God doesn't want to be boxed in. And this is why the written word is a ministry that brings death. The law is not evil or wrong, it's just impossible. <laughs> <laughs> when some of its glory literally shone from Moses' face, the people couldn't even look at him. That's how impossible it is. But the new covenant we have through the living word is even more glorious, Moses says. I mean, Paul says. <laughs> so glorious that it makes the earlier glory appear to not be glorious. In verses 9 and 10, Paul says, If the ministry that brought condemnation was glorious, how much more glorious is the ministry that brings righteousness? For what was glorious has no glory now in comparison with the surpassing glory. And then in verse 12, I love what he says in verse 12, therefore, since we have such a hope, we are very bold. I don't think this boldness needs to be obnoxious. I think it just means we are free people loved by God, and we can be that. We don't have to apologize for that, and we can welcome other people into it. We are, we can be bold because we're not dependent on our own ability to observe the law to mend our relationship with God. We can't do it. But Jesus did it. Last week we talked about how Jesus sacrificed himself in his body so that we can be his body. So if we are his body, we are by default, because of him, reconciled to God. 
So, if we're reconciled to God, we don't have to be afraid of anything. We can rely on his love to make us, in his body, look and act and sound and think more and more like Jesus. And this means, as a community, and also as individuals. The reason we need community, though, is because, have you ever noticed God works on you on certain things at a time? Which is good, because if you work on all the things at once, <laughs> you'd probably explode. Anyway, um, we can assume that any person in here who is actively pursuing Jesus, God is working on something with you and probably not all the same things. So we need each other so that we can help each other with the other things. This is how a body works. If you want to read more about that, check out 1 Corinthians 12. We're not doing that today. <laughs> but So we can rely on his love. We can't imitate Christ very well, though, if we ignore the lesser law that was reflected in the law God gave to the Israelites because Jesus said he is the fulfillment of the law. So, we are not subject to the law. We are in Christ's body. Christ fulfilled the law. Christ is going to fulfill the law through us as we cooperate with him. But if we have no idea what it says that's going to be a little harder. So we're not going to throw out the Old Testament. We're not going to throw out the law. We just don't need to be afraid because we are competent in what God has given us. We are not like Moses, Paul says, who would put a veil over his face to prevent the Israelites from seeing the end of what was passing away. But their minds were made dull, for to this day the same veil remains when the Old Covenant is read. It has not been removed, because only in Christ is it taken away. Even to this day, when Moses is read, a veil covers their heart. But when any, whenever anyone turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. The awesome, crazy thing is that this even more glorious ministry is something that all of God's people can embody. It doesn't have to be somebody special like Moses anymore. All of us can embody it, and other people can look at us directly. And we can have, and other people will look at us directly, by the way. <laughs> but we don't have to be afraid about that. We can have confidence and assurance in our freedom to be righteous, to love God, others, and even ourselves. We have a greater glory that doesn't need to hide. Paul is super excited in this passage because in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus, the living word of God, God has re removed the veil to his glory. God has made us competent to be ministers of a new, freeing, loving, glorious covenant which comes directly into our lives by the Spirit of God who brings life, not death. We can be confident because the righteousness isn't something that we have to drum up ourselves. The glory isn't something we have to drum up ourselves. Because of God's Spirit. I think I said this last year, or maybe the year before, but I think it's helpful to think of the Trinity as 
God the Father is God for us. God the Son is God with us. And God the Spirit is God in us. It is the Spirit, not the law, and not our own effort that enables us to glorify the God of love. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom, says Paul. We are free to live like Jesus virtuously, no longer bound to sin or the law. And the way it happens is to turn to the Lord, to rely on his love for us, and to love him back. We contemplate him. And as we contemplate God, love God, with no barriers between us, we will become like him in love with ever-increasing glory for him and for us, which is what Paul says at the end of this passage. And we all who with unveiled faces contemplate the Lord's glory are being transformed into his likeness with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. Amen. Amen. Lord, thank you that you want to share your glory with us and that your glory is love. Please help us to love like you do and to be confident in your love as we bring others to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.